Today, I'm joined by Andreas Chop Heichel as we dive into the world of visual effects in Hollywood blockbusters. Not only has Chop worked on some of the biggest productions, he's also co-founded a successful company called Day for Night, a go-to facility that's only been around for eight years. What truly sets him apart is his unwavering dedication to his team and employees and the importance of creating a strong and creative work environment. I hope you learn as much as I did about this fast-paced and ever-changing part of the movie industry. Okay. Hey, Chop, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to join me today on the podcast. Cool. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. I think, you know, we, we've met virtually. <laughs> we've talked many times, but this is great because when I first was told about you and, and your story and your company, I'm always interested in, you know, inception and how things started. And you have a, a really cool background in the world of visual effects. And starting your own company to me is very hard to do for any employment, any sort of uh, uh, job you're doing, right? It's just it's just hard to do. But for you, you did this after you came from another country, which is Canada, and starting back, you know, you you went to the uh, Vancouver Film School, and starting at the in the beginning, which is what I typically do. Was there a moment in time when you're you're back in Canada and some? maybe an experience you had that sort of inspired you to like, oh, hey, I want to get a job or find a career in visual effects. Oh, 100%. I saw the fifth element. And when Bruce Willis backs up his taxi into the cityscape at the beginning of the movie, I just saw that going, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> it was sold. And then I went to my, pretty much went to my dad and said, hey, can you put me through film school? I found this course I want to take. And he goes, are you serious? And I go, yep. And he goes, yep, sure. And then next thing you know, I'm in film school for a year. Did the, uh, it was about a year program back then. Couldn't find a job up in Vancouver at the time. I was up living in Vancouver and happened to go to school with a guy that lived down here that I was going to a wedding. And he said, hey, you want to come work at this company for a, for a quick little one day to help out? And I go, sure. And that's pretty much how it started. It got me down here to haven't left 20 years later. Wow. Yeah. Vancouver is such a great city. And I think Kevin Smith went to the Vancouver Film School. Was he like the he one of the major, you know, alumni uh, of the school? He, he was the alumni, the, the guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially when I was there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that because I, I, you know, because I'm from New Jersey, and that was obviously like the big thing in Red Bank. We were like, oh, this guy Kevin, he's from, you know, Red Bank, but he went to school in Canada, and you're like, what's this school? You know, I'm pretty sure he didn't finish either. I Probably he not left early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's done well, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, like, like me, I I kind of came out here and I was like, "What do I do?" I sat in front of my computer for hours, just like emailing resumes and like trying to get PA gigs and stuff like that. And sometimes you kind of fall into things. Friends, like you said, brought you into a world maybe you know you, you had no idea you wanted to do full time, long term. But you did start like your your first feature film experience was iRobot, and looking back then, right, that was like considered groundbreaking in, in, in terms of like technology and, and visual effects. But like, what, what was it like your first major uh, production that you were on? 
Um, that was the first big one. Uh, we did. A, I did a little bit of. Uh, I don't know if you remember Panic Room DVD. They'd have all these fly throughs, camera fly throughs, to get to the different menus. That was literally my very first job at PLF, Pixel Liberation Front. And from there, we went to iRobot, which was, we came in after they'd shot and we were doing post-vis for all the robot battles at the end. And that was just unreal. That was, that was a very cool experience for someone who'd never seen any film stuff at all. Seeing it already shot, seeing what they're starting with and what you got to get them to so the vendors know what they're doing was very, very cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, I think people don't understand like what they're watching when all the work that goes behind the scenes in, in, into these shots that, I mean, I'm obviously I'm, I'm around it enough now, but just a casual viewer doesn't realize like how many people, how many artists, how many frames are being like meticulously worked on to, to make something happen that could be 10 seconds, but it, it could just take a long time to kind of put together. But for you, right? Like you, you did this for a couple of years, you bounced from shows to shows, sort of built your career up. But then in like 2015, your partner, Glenn, and you started, co-founded a company uh, that you currently still run is Day for Night. Obviously starting a company, like I said, it's not easy for anyone, no matter what, what industry you're in. But can you sort of like take us back to like the early days of the, the company's inception and, and sort of like what inspired the both of you to, to just start a company and the vision that you both had in mind for the company and how that sort of panned out to today? Oh, boy. Well, we kind of there's, there was a group of four of us that were we were pretty adamant. There was a, there was a little stretch in there where the studios used to hire everybody individually, all the artists. And then they go, no, we don't want to do this. And that's where other previous companies came in and started say, we'll bundle everything together. You hire us. We'll take care of the staffing, take care of the equipment. And you don't have to deal with individuals. And it kind of came out of a necessity for us that we didn't want to work for these other companies. We liked what we, the way we did things. And we had a good crew of about a dozen people that we thought we could sell to the studios and start the company based on that. And luckily, Glenn was offered the supervisor role on Thor Ragnarok, hmm. which was insane for us to get a Marvel show to start the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So when we, we push this to the execs at Marvel, they go, well, who, who's, who's this with you and Glenn or with Glenn? And that's me. So they brought me in to meet the execs and we had to tell them how we could do this. We actually had to create an Australian entity, get ourselves work visas and be able to get over there in like three months to Sydney or to the Gold Coast where they were filming. And yeah, we said, no problem. We can do it. We didn't know if we could do it at the time. <laughs> and we got all that done. And. It was, it, it's, it's scary and tough to start your own company for sure, but it's well worth it. We went through a lot of times where we're just going, how are we going to make payroll? Stu we had to get used to how studios paid you. Like, there was a, quite a delay, so you always have to have cash on hand, that kind of thing to cover. And it was all kind of learn as you go, and we did pretty good. We haven't been bankrupt, and we're not in debt, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> it's been a fun ride for sure. Yeah, so in terms of like the vision, I guess... It was more of like, hey, we know what we want to get into because, you know, like I said, Glenn was already working on the show. You had your years of, of, of experience doing your own, I guess, more independent, you know, yeah. working yourself. But sort of combining those together, the goal was like, hey, we know what we're doing at this point. We know we want to put a company. We, we want to work for ourselves. Was that fair to say? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then building new connections, right? You had some. Glenn had some. But so obviously his existing relationship on this show may have helped, you know, play a role in, in securing this 
job, right? Uh, overseas. But how about on your end? Like, were there examples of like any past relationships that came into play when, when you were trying to get yourself, you know, your business off the ground, but you know, sort of your end of it, were there relationships that you were able to sort of lean on to make this company? Oh, 100%. Happen? 100%. And unfortunately, she literally passed away yesterday. And that's Di Judy, who is a VFX producer. She's done a ton of Marvel shows. She, she got sick and passed away on Sunday, which is very sad, on Monday, which is very sad. But when we first incubated the company for trying to figure out how we were going to do this, she was invaluable. She'd come over to my house, show us how to do bids, show us how to, how to approach the studios. And by that time, we'd worked with quite a few producers, so people knew who we were. And it was just a matter of getting them to take a tiny risk on our company to do things. And luckily, we've done a pretty good job. So everything's kind of word of mouth in this industry. If you don't do good, you're not going to get jobs. If you do good, you'll get jobs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I met I met Di a couple of years ago. I was fortunate enough to meet her. I've obviously seen, you know, heard about her over the years. And obviously that's, that's uh very sad because I heard that yesterday as well. She was great. I mean, I met, I met her once, but light of the, you know, just lit up the whole room as soon as you, oh, amazing. yeah, like yeah. as soon as you meet her, you're like, okay, you know, she's someone you want to know. And <laughs> she's just a, a great kind of presence, you know? And so obviously very sad to hear that yesterday. Yeah, no, she, she nurtured us completely. Like she took us under her wing, which she done. We know we first met on sky captain, the world of tomorrow back in, I want to say 2004. We were all working at Pixel Liberation Front, and that's when we first met Die. We just stayed close to her the whole time. Awesome, awesome lady. Yeah, it's great, great woman. You know, so obviously that's a connection that that certainly helped. And she believed in 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 your vision. Obviously, you as a person, your work ethic, which just seems like was very instrumental. Obviously, in uh, getting the company. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so like in eight years though, right? Twenty fifteen seems like a long time ago, but it's not when you. It really is only eight years and you know it's been like a, a a rapid ascent of your company it's become like a go-to name in the industry so like besides who you knew besides your you know obviously how good you both were at your jobs were there like strategies that sort of like that you were trying to set yourself apart from other facilities to to Oh, a hundred percent. We, at the first couple of years that we did not worry about making a penny. All we wanted to do is deliver the best product. So in all honesty, I don't think me and Glenn paid ourselves the first two years. We were just, it was all about getting artists, getting, paying the artists properly and just delivering a good product, which we did our best. And we continue to do that. That's the number one goal of the company is always deliver a good product and then the people will come back. Right. Preserving some capital too, right? So if you guys, both of you were taking, you know, sal even if it's a minimal salary, it's still putting money out that you feel like, you know what, let's just make sure that we have like a little, you know, savings, a buffer in there to weather any certain storms or strikes or whatever might come your way, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a tough one. The strike's been, been tough, but we were pretty prepared and we're lucky we had a couple projects that weren't affected by it. That kind of keeps the core people mm -hmm. going. But the other thing was we, we pride ourselves in being able to hold on to artists. So they develop with the company, they stick with the company. We have an in, a, we have one woman that started as an intern and is now head of our assets. Like she's been around for seven years with the company and she's just one example of many. So we always try and keep people, keep them happy and have them grow with us, which is the goal. Yeah. So if you, yeah, exactly. That's, that's huge because you do hear a lot of companies out there that, you know, they just see employees as, you know, just faces, just bodies that they can help get to the next goal. And if that person can't help them anymore, well, 
they don't have a need for them. And it's kind of, you know, disheartening to, to see when you do talk to people it, with that sort of like harsh mentality that they have about running their company and when it comes to the human element. And it's nice to hear that you guys, you know, are taking that almost as important as, as the work, right? You want to make sure you take care of the people you're loyal to them. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do the work we do without the artists we have. Simple as that. Yeah. And, and you've thrown out a few terms that I know, but people listening might not. Could you just briefly tell me the difference like between a pre-vis and post-vis? Oh, <laughs> so pre-vis is kind of like, uh, if you see, everybody knows what a storyboard is or an automatic. Pre-vis is doing a 3D version of that. So instead of a still frame, you have action covering, you know what lens was used to get the tight shot that you needed or what lens for a really wide shot. And it's all about, Depending on what type of previs it is, it's all about in, informing on how they're going to shoot it. So when they go in to shoot, they can do one camera setup and they know it's right, as opposed to doing a camera setup, shooting something, go, wait, that doesn't work. Let's try it a different way. They already know what doesn't work and they should be able to do what works. That's the, that's the goal. And then if they do, another example would be trying to do presentation. They're trying to sell what their idea is to the studio to get more money for visual effects, to do something like that. And then you do really pretty previs, which is as opposed to informing, it's something pretty that the studio execs will look at going, oh yeah, this could work if it's done live action looking real. And then post-vis is mostly, I would say mostly it's informing the big VFX companies where everything goes. That and putting stuff together that instead of looking at a green screen, you have a temp background in there for screenings, early screenings, so they know if something's working or not. So you have editorial for the producers or the execs. It's all about informing what's going to happen down the road. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, thanks. Cause I, I know uh, I've heard enough about it in the years I've been around, but <laughs> people listening might be like, what is, what's that? But what's that? But like speaking of technology, right? Like how does day for night sort of stay like ahead of the curve in a way, uh, well, you know, technology changes quickly. Right. And, and there's this, you know, innovation to deliver a higher quality and your, your stuff has to look better than whatever was released, you know, last year and think, how, how do you guys like, you know, stay ahead of that or like at the cutting edge of technology? It's, it's, again, it's our artists. We just make sure we have the best in the right position that are curious. Like for instance, the whole, over the last five years, everybody's moved over to the unreal engine or game engine cinematics where it makes everything look good. The lighting's awesome. You get volumetrics, you get all sorts of stuff. And having guys develop that, our pipeline switched from being like little screen grabs of images to full-on renders from a, a game engine. And that's just updating your pipeline and keeping up with it and making sure you're on top of things. You can't let it slide. With AI coming up, that's another big one that's going to be... <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's a good good segue, right? If you, if, you know, it would be interesting to hear your opinion on that, if you don't mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> Or not. <laughs> yeah, in the visual effects industry, I think further down the line, post-production is going to affect the most quickly because that's going to be, they'll figure out how to rotoscope without having somebody go paint frame by frame. The AI will figure out what goes and what stays, that kind of thing, as it learns. And that would be the biggest, quickest impact. But even today, our, our pipeline guys are using AI to help them do code snippets, that kind of stuff. Doing examples for art department, you can say, hey, I want this, someone dressed like this in this period. And all of a sudden you have an image rendered. Oh, yeah, that's kind of close. And then make something similar to that. So it, it speeds up the process quite a bit. We can't do that on a lot of projects because there's a lot of confidentiality. So that's the one downfall for AI right now. If it's all public, 
studios, I don't think will be very eager to have all their info up there, even if it's supposed to be buried somewhere. Right. So, yeah, it's going to be a give and take. We'll see what happens, where it goes. Five, ten years, who knows? <laughs> it's crazy what it's done just, you know, a year ago yeah. or five months ago, whatever it might be. It's just, it moves so quickly. And I think that people don't know, like, what what is the end goal? I don't know. But, you know, sort of the proponents of it want to keep pushing it and pushing it. And people who are a little more skeptical are like, hey, maybe we kind of slow this down a little bit. Or you have people that are just completely like, nope, I know it's going to take my job. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's going to take jobs for sure. Oh, it's odd times, but it's exciting. Like it's different. So it's, yeah, it's got to roll with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we don't have a choice. So it's almost you have to embrace the madness in a way because we don't know where it's going to be. But you can't be also be left out in the in the in the dark saying like oh i didn't really implement this or at least you know be curious enough to know how can this help the business if anything and if it doesn't great but at least you're aware of of or what, what's coming down the road and who's what's your com competition's yeah. doing of course so like if you know obviously you know everyone knows hollywood right post-production you know there's deadlines and things that have to come out and be done at a certain time tight deadlines high pressure right oh, yeah. like how does the team, and I'm sure it's going to come down a lot to, to how, how well your, the employees you have are, um, and they can sort of manage that, those deadlines and stress, but how, how do you, is there a way that you manage that with your employees to sort of ensure that the quality, uh, the highest standards you have? It's with the existing employees we have, they kind of understand and know, like when we have a big deadline, we'll, we'll try and bring on extra people. And then the, the people that are always with us know everybody's got to step it up a notch. It's hard to predict because it always changes. Like screenings will be a month away and then two days later, oh, we're going to have it three days from now. Mm -hmm. So it's just about adapting. Our team size grows and shrinks as at the studio's will, which is that's the industry. And most of the guys know how to roll with it. And it's feast or famine. <laughs> yeah. You just got to go with it. Yeah. It's just adapt, you yeah. know, and, and, and kind of like, Hey, this is the way things are. You're used to it by now. And, and I think probably because you have such a good relationship with those employees that, you know, a, a lot of times with, with companies, you'll find if you have that sort of example I used earlier of someone that doesn't really value the employees, well, then they're not going to value deadlines for an employer sometimes, because like, what are they, what, what, why are they trying to, to make something happen for someone that doesn't value them in exactly. a way? Right. So you can see that that would probably play in into how well that you, you you both treat uh, your employees that they actually want to do they want your company to be successful because they don't want to leave 100%. either right yeah no one hundred percent yeah you don't want them to leave they don't want to right <laughs> so like exactly sometimes I would right sometimes you'll have to collaborate with directors and other or other creative talents okay uh, in in your line like your position so is is there like a way that you balance that sort of creative input that you have that you're bringing to the table that they may not be okay like hey maybe his ideas are a little too grandiose or whatever it might be because mine are a little more basic but you want to you know throw in your creativity is there like a balance that you have with fulfilling the vision for the project but sort of keeping your creative input involved that that'll all depend on the director but ideally like we're here to service his film mm -hmm. We're trying to make his film better. And if we think there's a better way to do something, if we have time, we'll do another version. We always want to get the director's vision first. And then we want to try and if they ask for input or they ask for another version saying, hey, can we do this a better way? We'll, we'll try and get that in as well. But but the first, first and foremost, get the director's vision. We're there to help him get his film out. 
Right. So I would imagine if you've worked multiple times with the same director, maybe there's a little bit of, okay, now we know each other's works, sort of you know, preferences, and we can kind of tweak things that maybe you know where you can kind of throw in some some, some of the things you want to oh, do. Oh, 100%. We, we have one director, one of our supervisors always works with, and he doesn't get any, he just says, hey, I want a fight that's going to do something. Make it cool. <laughs> and then our guys will put something together and he'll either like it or not like it, but it's done quickly. And he can say, yeah, no, that's on the right line, not the right line. So that, that happens I'd say about half the time, the directors are very, very engaged and then or director or supervisor is very engaged. And then the other half, there's someone says, hey, we got storyboards, make this exactly like this. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it helps to have that when you, it's just more trust, right? They trust you. Exactly. And they know how well you do your job. So they're willing to say, hey, you know, just give me something cool. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. That's uh, that's what it takes. Yeah. And, and speaking of cool, like you, you know, we're here in America. We didn't play this much, at least where I grew up, uh, rugby, right? So that's a, a passion that you had growing up, right? So, and, and and I know, like I see on social media, you're always at, at rugby matches and globally, oh, you're out there all the time, like checking things out, which is which is cool. The, the, the love that you have for that sport, right? Has that sort of like influenced the, the sense of teamwork, camaraderie that you get in your own company or like lessons or values uh, from the field that you can carry over to the the culture of day for night yeah i think so mostly it's, it's teamwork rugby is and we try and encourage that it's always it's always great that the team like we try and keep the same teams together the same artists working together because then they just get tighter they kind of know what the other hand's doing all the time and the work is always good and i think that kind of carries over to just knowing like a scrum in rugby you got to work with the other guys to get the right result yeah, exactly. Yeah, rugby is definitely a tough sport that I think a lot of Americans are not, not, not. You know, they're probably it's a little like scary to them because you know they we have football, but it's so heavily padded. You know, and you see rugby, you're like, okay, it's just a different different animal. That uh, it's cool though. I think though that the, the camaraderie that you've probably built up doing that and sort of enjoying that game, it has to sort of you know come over into to the work in some degree, whether, you know, you're influenced by things that you don't even realize it, like myself, you know, you don't even realize it, but sometimes it just creeps in. Sometimes you're like, Oh, that's a interesting to kind of see those parallels. But in terms of like you, you having a, a vac your vacation home, right. You built in Costa Rica. I thought it was awesome. I saw the pictures online. I was always curious, like, why did you choose that area? Is that sort of like a future retirement for you? Or what is it about that country that is that your sort of getaway detached from Hollywood kind of place? Um, yeah, exactly. I went down there for the first time maybe 12 years ago on a surf camp. And I just, I fell in love. It's just perfect. And then I just kept thinking about getting a little apartment down there. And then about five years ago, I just kind of upgraded what I wanted to do down there. And then I found this piece of land that was very cheap, that it was too small to build something and everybody told me not to get it, but it was something I could afford and then just started saving money to be able to build something. The idea is hopefully to spend a couple months a year down there. Now that we know we can work from home, sure, right. <laughs> uh, spend a couple of months and then just kind of roll with it. See, I wouldn't mind ending up down there, but there's no, no plan yet. It was more, more of an experiment to just, to have something. Yeah. I think, you know, who knows, right. Will Central America in the future be a, a hub for post-production? You never know, right? <laughs> you know? We'll, we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I do know a lot of people heading down to Costa Rica, obviously. And uh, it's sort of like evolved where you see just 
people going down there because you can't get all of the stuff that you know in Malibu would cost you thirty million dollars to buy land and develop it and get the ocean views and right. But you can go down there and you're like for a fraction of the cost and kind of enjoy the same right, the, very similar setting. Oh, it's it is very similar. It's great. It's probably the because they have no military, the roads, the infrastructure is pretty good, very good on Central American standards, but decent for us. I don't take a dirt road till I get to my house. Um, they got good health care. If you want to live down there, you stay there five years, you get citizenship and you get health care right away, which we wouldn't do yet. But yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it's a great place. It's very it's not Americanized, but it's like depending on where you go, it's pretty, pretty Americanized, but it's still people are great. A lot of expats down there and the ocean mountains. It's just great. Yeah, if you're a Climate's surfer, perfect. too, right? <laughs> Yes, that's what I originally went down for. Now, when I go down, I surf every morning, which is great. Oh, see, yeah. And if you wanted to go from, you know, L.A., City, Hollywood, whatever, getting down to the beach here, it could take an hour each way. <laughs> that and it's too cold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, so, like, going in, like, film industry, right? Obviously, things change, especially in your world, right? Maybe not so much if you're in the costume department or props or something where, you know, yeah, things change. But, like, your area it's just changes so quickly with technology like like an iphone you had a year ago things just progress so quickly when you're looking in like digital technology and the future of visual effects i know we touched on ai a little bit what are the things that sort of excite you the most about the future well ai excites and scares <laughs> me the most it's they're just endless just the real-time component real-time engines are just getting better and better and easier and easier to use where you just get this stunning looking image sequence with a lot, not as much work, like you used to have to render it out on a render farm. All ours is done on the box. Um, and it just gets better and better. Each, each iteration gets better. So it's great that everything's like, it's going to be full photo reel in a couple of years, even just previs will be photo reel. And that's exciting that you can put something that good together that quickly. And that helps sell this, sell the film or to the execs, or it helps guide the shoot, which it's meant to do. But it makes it look all prettier, which is just great. Yeah. So the future is just, it just changes so quickly. But for you, it's its just just the excitement, right? The pure excitement of being excited. Of what's... Yeah, yeah. No, and it gets, and the technology, it just gets the previs. If you look at the previs from like 20 years ago, it's like stick men sliding across the <laughs> right. thing. And now you have full on environments with uh, trees, leaves blowing in the wind just by default. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It is remarkable to see what, what things sort of, how they just, just progress over just a short amount of time. But like, say, say you're someone who's, you know, listening here and they're, they're like, Oh man, like what this guy does sounds awesome. Maybe I won't own a company like him, but this world that he's talking about sounds cool. Do you think like, is there a certain path for people to sort of break into becoming an artist or a technician or something like that in the world of visual effects? Do they have to be in LA? Can they be in London? Can they be in Sydney? What, whatever it might be like what advice that you might give someone that's young and listening? Well, the good thing is COVID. The one good thing out of COVID is it proved the studios found out that people can work from home and be efficient. So we have artists all over the States. We have a couple in New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, all hooking into our server back here. So you can be almost anywhere for getting that first job. School is, a film school is important, but it's not a half, a must have. A must have would be connections, would be a great one, a great place to start, always till the best. And then a good demo reel, showing it, showing that you can do the work 
if you had no degree and you sent an awesome demo reel in of a great animation or you building some great creature, all you want to do is get your foot in the door and then what you do with that. Yeah. You go from Yeah, there. it's just the connections like from the from the beginning of time, right? Like the connections are obviously huge, but Exactly. I, yeah. And then demo reels obviously that's you know, people can, that's huge. Yeah. People, people can do that now that, you know, probably again, because of the technology, 10 years, 15 years, maybe be a lot harder, be a lot more expensive to do. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, what, what would you say? Like if someone listening, where would be the best place that they wanted to sort of check out your company or learn more about you or connect with you? Our website day for night. Yeah. Day for night.com. We have lots of clips and you can see examples of our work. Um, we've done a couple of little shorts in Unreal Engine that are, give you an idea of what kind of stuff we're looking for. Um, we have a new little department where we're trying to create even smaller shorts than just randomly putting out quickly, just so guys can do something in their spare time. And that would be a great resource for seeing the level of quality we're looking for. Not so much the look of it, but the, the movement. Movement's always very important. Animation. Okay, cool. cool. That, that's day four night. D-A-Y-F-O-R-N-I-T-E.com. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So, man, this was awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you, you have a busy schedule. you got a lot going on all the time. You're always around somewhere in the, in the world <laughs> as I follow you <laughs> online. So, so thank you so much for you know explaining what you do, explaining how you kind of put this company together with Glenn and, and all the successes that you've had so far. It's just really inspiring, I think, for people to hear and be able to just say like, hey, man, this guy came from Canada, like, you know, kind of took a shot on on coming over to L.A. and putting this together and, and like is just crushing it eight years later after starting a company. So I think people will certainly gain a lot from hearing your story. And I really do appreciate you taking the time today to uh, talk with me. No, absolutely. It was good fun. Thank you, Joe. You too, man. Take care. Thanks, Chop. OK, we'll talk to you soon.